Welcome to Cover Stories with Chess Life, the U.S. Chess Federation's podcast that goes behind the scenes and more in-depth about each month's Chess Life magazine cover story. Make sure to listen to our family of U.S. Chess podcasts, which includes One Move at a Time on the second Tuesday of each month, where Dan Lucas talks to people who are advancing our mission statement, Ladies' Night, which drops on the third Tuesday of each month, hosted by our women's program director, Jennifer Shahadi, and on the fourth Tuesday of each month, Chess Underground, hosted by our assistant director of national events, Pete Cargianis, in which he examines the game's eccentricities, peculiarities, and theoretical novelties. All can be found at the podcast link on Chess Life Online at uschess.org, or you can subscribe via iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Today's guest on Cover Stories with Chess Life is the co-author of our June cover story on the 2020-2021 Candidates Tournament. No, it's not me. It's Grandmaster Jakob Olgaard. Did I say that anywhere near right? No. I'm going to do it until I get it right. Jakob Olgaard, or Agard as uh, we heathen Americans tend to say it, is one of the most lauded authors and trainers in the chess world today. The winner of the Boleslavsky Medal from the FIDE Trainers Commission, a group for which he later served as director for a time. Olgaard has written 20-plus books under his own name and more than a few under others. He is the 2007 British champion and the 2012 Scottish champion. Jakob has played on two Olympiad teams for Scotland and his native Denmark and worked as the national coach for both the Danish team and for the Indian women. Over the years, I'm just going to say Jakob because I don't want to embarrass myself. Jakob has worked as a trainer for some of the world's best players, including Boris Gelfand, Sam Shankland, who you might hear in the background, Surya Ganguly, and Sabino Brunello. Most of the top Indian juniors have devoured his books, and with good reason. Today, I speak to Jakob at his home in Glasgow. Jakob, welcome to Cover Stories with Chess Life. How are you doing? Thank you very much. I am doing well. And as you correctly pointed out here in the background, uh, Sam Shanklin is trying to solve um, a playing position. He's trying to improve on uh, Alex Jamulinski against Nigel Short, played in the Kiers Memorial in Parno in 1998. And so far, he is playing exactly the same as uh, Jamulinski has played. Alex will be very excited to hear that. Alex was actually a guest on this show a few months ago. Uh, so uh, I, I'm sure he listens. Uh, I have no idea if he listens, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pretend <laughs> he listens. And uh, so if, if he does hear this, uh, Yermo, uh, know that you are in good company right now. Let's begin by talking about the candidates. Um, one of the things I, I wanted to talk about to begin with is, is, is you're such a big fan of the candidates tournament. Um, you, you, you love the, the tournament itself, its history. What is it about this tournament that, that so intrigues you? Okay, it's, it's, it's basically the format. Uh, so if we look at all the other things we're being offered uh, as chess fans, and I absolutely can myself, uh, first and foremost, among the chess fans. And then we have, uh, at the moment, we have a Grand Prix, which is knockouts. We have a World Cup, which is knockout. We have a world championship, which is a match finishing in a knockout. Then we have online knockout. We have knockout knockouts and knock yourself out knockouts. And I don't know. 
But what is characteristic for all these tournaments in general, uh, and which is also characteristic for a lot of uh, round-robin top tournaments, is that um, risk is not rewarded. And if you look at something like the Grand Prix, the argument always goes for the players don't want to, shouldn't be uh, seeking to play a playoff because for one of the players it would be a disadvantage. And, well, we, we have so much evidence that, that they make these quick draws and then play rapid because whoever does these two quick draws and then play rapid, the two people playing rapid both think they have a reasonable chance in rapid. And the winner who moves on will not have spent energy in the match. This, this is a problem you can't solve. Uh, in the World Championship match, after we introduced playoffs, we have seen the risk-averse uh, players go totally bananza because there's always the playoffs. You can always delay the moment where you have to take uh, take a chance. And uh, we have countless uh, examples of this uh, and, and, and everyone knows that we, we last time had a match with, with 12 draws. Uh, and, and we just didn't have this uh, high propensity of draws in the past. And we don't have them in the candidates tournament. And why not? Because there's one winner. And everyone goes there to fight, really fight. And it's very rare you have a, a situation like we had this time with Wang Hao, who went to just get it over with. Um, all eight players come to fight. And then midway through the tournament, uh, some of the players will uh, will basically be outside the running. But all their preparation, their pre uh, pre tournament uh, setup, is to fight. So they continue fighting traditionally. So uh, for me, it just gives us a, a fighting tournament, and you don't have to. Uh, uh, you know, take away the ability to to think and blindfold the players, and I don't know what other ways they're trying to handicap them now to have decisive results. You just need to motivate them with uh, decisive results. Well, we see some of these top tournaments, uh, all play all tournaments, where it's just the same problem as 30, 40 years ago. The, the rating system is is basically nonsense. Because uh, you can have six, seven players who perform nothing in the tournament. They actually don't play any independent moves. And their rating is the same next tournament, and they get invited all over again. Because we know for decades now that organizers invite based on rating. They don't organize, They don't invite based on, uh, on if a player is interesting or not. They just organize uh, invite uh, based on rating. And that means that if you uh, keep your rating, you keep playing. So uh, a lot of a lot of these tournaments, they could be nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. You know? Well, I mean, and, and we're seeing this in the online world too, with uh, you know what we saw in the this this cryptocurrency cup that 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 Play Magnus and, and Chess Twenty Four are putting on, with you know these fourteen move draws in the, in the Berlin. That uh, it has to be said. I mean, mostly the Americans were playing. Um, and then even yesterday, the, uh, the 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 day of world peace between uh, Rajabov and Napomniachi. Um, it's 
I, I guess, you know, if, if the contract allows it, I guess they, they can do it. But it, to an outsider, it, it doesn't look great. Well, we, we just know uh, from uh, from looking at history that there will probably be no consequence. Yeah. Well, but we, uh, but it, it, I, I, I don't blame the players. Uh, I think the players uh, act in self-interest, and they always do. Um, generally, top players are not known for their uh, um, their high consideration of other people's uh, feelings and interests. They're there to play, and they're focused on that, and that's why they're they're in the top. Uh, I'm not saying they're bad people, but that's the focus, and they will act accordingly. So you should make rules act accordingly. And the candidates' tournament is the only tournament that has such rules, and it had it since. Basically, since 2005, when we had the San Luis uh, tournament for the World Championship, we uh, we should begin about uh, by talking about this edition uh, by talking about pre-match assessments and and who was correct in their uh, in their prediction before the second half. Now, remind me, who did you think was going to win this tournament when you and I spoke for uh, for Chess Life Online? It's such a long time ago. I have no memory. I I went back and you, looked. You can you can you can just make it up now as you want, <laughs> and everyone will know that I have no chance here in defending myself. <laughs> so you can just make up whatever you want. Well, I'm I'm I actually there is uh, I don't know the the cyber equivalent of videotape. The uh, same. everyone knows you're a very technical person, so <laughs> you know they. they I, I, I'm just going to agree with whatever you say because I cannot defend myself well, against I, someone may, like... Maybe we won't talk about who you predicted would win, but we, we could talk about who I said would win. And and I thought Jan Nepomniachi would win. And Yes, but why? Uh, because I thought he... Uh, well, because he was a point ahead and because... Uh, and in second place. He was... That's true. He did, uh, he did not have favorable tie breaks, but... Um, I my my feeling was that he was playing relatively well in the Magnus events that he played in, and I thought that his play at the at the Russian Championship, granted it was a few months earlier, but I thought it was uh, impressive. So that is why I went with Jan Pomiachi. I uh, I heard a, a fantastic analysis by a very smart man uh, that the main reason why Nepomniachtchi. Uh, should have been and was favorite to win this and did win the tournament was that it was not one tournament. It was two short tournaments. And who was that smart man? I am not going to say that uh, here on the air. He might over overhear me in the background. Oh, interesting. Uh, so, well, that's, it's an interesting point. Why do you think, um, why do you think that benefited Napomniachi? Um, because he normally runs out of energies and in, in poor shape and, uh, we saw that in both uh, both legs, he lost the last game. So it's it's interesting that last game um, where he did uh, where he did collapse. Do you think that was? Um, and by the way, for those of you who can't see this, uh, Jakob is multitasking right now because he's uh, playing moves on the board against uh, Sam Shankland in the background, uh, which is kind of really impressive. <laughs> You have to know that position. No, 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 no. I, I have. Uh, I just used the notes. It's fine. That's still impressive. Uh, <laughs> I'm not beating him in a simul. Uh, <laughs> so. Well, I mean, you, you wouldn't have to concentrate very hard against me. Let's put it that way. Um, do Do you think Napomniachi he faded at the end of this tournament because he 
Well, we don't know. Okay. We, we just don't know because he was making quick draws and then uh, he lost after he, he qualified. So we, we don't know. But uh, for sure, uh, a 14-round tournament in one go would not have suited him. Well, that, that raises an interesting question about his his chances against Carlson because, I mean, it is, it's going to be a 14-game match uh, this time. Uh, and then I guess there are tie breaks afterwards if, if needed. Um, do you, do you think he has any chance to what, what does he have to do to, to maximize his chances against the world champion? Um, I think it's very important when you go into a match like this, that you have a, a clear narrative about how you're going to win the match. And also, um, you have a narrative about how you might lose the match so that you understand when it's going in one direction or when it's going in the other. I think there is a tendency in these matches for uh, the seconds to focus just on openings, just opening analysis, 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 and so on. And it is very important. It's very useful. Um, but it could sometimes there is a, a tendency for to sort of do the planning the way we we did cities in the Middle Ages in, uh, in Europe, one house at a time. And uh, if, if if you know uh, how things work here, you will see that it's a lot of uh, inefficient uh, construction. A lot of the streets are too narrow, they're, they're too bendy, they're all kind of issues, uh, which... It's not really a common American problem because uh, so much construction was in, happened in the 20th century or, or even uh, even now. Um, the same way with, with, a, with a match like this, you can very easily get really bogged down in, in specific opening preparation rather than having a general narrative about how you win the match. And I think, in general, this has been the biggest weakness for Carson in, uh, in the last two matches at least that their narrative is Magnus is a better player, he will win. And for me, that's a quite, um, it's a quite weak narrative. Um, it sort of uh, doesn't take into consideration what else could happen. When I, um, so my, my good friend uh, Alexander Mutulev was on Kayakin's team, and I, uh, I taught him that, you know, of course, Kayakin didn't have an objective chance against Carlsen normal playing strength. But uh, Carlsen at this point was uh, acting very much as if he deserved to win everything he showed up for. We remember there were some some scenes and uh, rapid tournaments and other things where he behaved quite poorly. And you can still see it now from time to time. But now you, you see a grown man the rest of the time who just sometimes get annoyed. Uh, while at that time, um, uh, you know, he still had to probably get used to being being world champion. He was a very young man. Uh, and, and that was what I thought was the weakness, that he would get frustrated if he was trying, trying to win just by showing up and it wasn't working. And then he would push too hard. And, uh, and this is sort of what I predicted would happen. And then uh, at some point, um, at some point, uh, you know, Kayaki might win a game, but then Carlton would be a different person. 
and really you get the, the real Carlson and then he would strike back and they'll probably end in a in a playoff. And uh yeah, uh they did. And you have to be ready you have to be ready for a playoff. And this is my this is my biggest lesson from being can we say um I was not part of the the girlfriend team for 2012, but I was sort of a little bit on the periphery uh, in that um, I have a, I, I, I have a, I had this long relationship with Boris and I was helping him with, with general training a little bit. Um, and, and, and yeah, uh, my books, the Grandmaster uh, Preparation Series were training material that was collected for Boris. You are you are stealing all of my questions and and getting ahead of my. But that's that's actually that's well, an important. But the, thing. the series is still used. I know that you know, like Kawana uses them, Carlson uses them, Sold uses them, uh, Gear uses them. All all these guys, they all use these books. It's uh, not, you know, and there are also other names on that list you mentioned earlier. But I think beyond mentioning Jeffrey Shong, I don't think I want to. I want to take anyone, but I'm not their trainer. This is sort of an important thing. Jeffrey has his own trainer, which is one guy, and it's between them to, to talk about that properly. And then he has a second, which is a different guy, who has said publicly he's that, but still is not my business. So it's like sometimes I work with Jeffrey, and, and you know, I work with most of the young American players. I wonder, I worked quite a lot with Christopher. Um, who's now mainly working with Sam. I'm sort of still a little bit of periphery of that. Um, they just, they live like close to each other. So it was stupid for, for me to do online lessons with Christopher when he has Sam next door. Um, and then of course, uh, we have a lot of other, we have uh, like Jennifer Yu, we have Carissa, uh, uh, I've, I've, I've been in a few of my camps. So uh, we should talk about that. This this sort of gets ahead of ourselves. Api, of course, uh, mm. been in a lot of the camps, and uh, he's a really, uh, really, really impressive boy. How and, did you uh, How did you get hooked up with all these American players? Well, first Sam contacted me back in 2013, uh, and then in. Uh, 2018, maybe 2019. So 2018, I was in Charlotte. I was invited to go to a summer camp in Charlotte, where I will be also in July this year. We are going to talk about your summer tour at the end, certainly. It's not much of a tour, uh, but so I'm. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm. I was in that camp, and uh, uh, one evening I think we went for dinner or something with Christopher's dad or something, and. Uh, he and there was there was others who asked me as well. I was generally saying no, 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 but then sort of kept sending me uh, messages if I would work a bit with Christopher. In the end, I said yes. And one of the main reasons I said yes was at that point he was also working with Boris Avrok, who also asked me I'd be invited. And Boris and I we are we are old friends. Um, so I, I started working with him. Then the following year, um, Sam. Uh, talked to Wayne Chong, who who then got Jeffrey to come to the summer camp, and then I was invited by Greg Shahade to do a camp for the best U.S. juniors. 
where two of the greatest minds in modern chess met, if I don't recall. Uh, that would be you and Peter Svitler, is that right? Uh, actually, I didn't meet Peter. I, I missed him. I know I, that's where I uh, met you. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, I will have to think about who else Peter met then. <laughs> um, yeah, but Peter, he came for, he was given commentary for, I think, for the one of the chess, Grand Chess Tour things. And he came like one, two days before the end and, and, and very kindly showed up and took questions uh, uh, from uh, from the kids at the, the camp, such questions as like, uh, how come uh, Anisgiri managed to uh, to get a good-looking girlfriend? Which for Peter was a very, very strange question because like Giri is funny, he's smart, uh, he's an extremely nice person. <laughs> Why wouldn't he? It's, he, uh, it's, he'd be with, with someone he likes. It's, but anyway. It's, no, it's, it's funny. When I, people can go and I, actually I should find... Be, I should be more serious. <clears throat> Sorry. No, no, no. It's, it's, um, people should go and, and Google that because the, the, the coverage of uh, the, some of the juniors and the questions they asked uh, Peter Svidler, um, it reminded me of the time I saw Jacques Derrida, who is this, uh, you know, uh, very famous philosopher, French philosopher, I saw him uh, give a lecture in, in Albany, New York, and it's this long two-hour technical lecture about Kant and judgment and, and things that were, you know, I was working on my PhD at that point. It was over my head. And um, then he gets the questions, and, and uh, first question is technical from a professor. The second question is from someone, I don't know who they were, and they, they wanted to know if Derrida had a message for their generation. And uh, after giving this tour de force performance, Derrida was utterly flummoxed because, I mean, what, (laughs) you know, (laughs) what do you say? I mean, just, and he, he just sort of looked at the person and just punted and then went to the next question. Um, I I think sort of what also happened with the, with Svitla was uh, there was a quite a few of his, uh, his answers to questions, which was uh, that, um, about training and how to improve, it was like, I think you're better off asking Jakob. And I've been there, they already, after four days, they're already tired of me, you know, so they, they, they wanted to know his opinion. Uh, we, uh, we should talk about, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get back to a lot of this. I did want to ask you about uh, your, uh, how, what did Kalia say, that he was your man crush or your... Oh, yeah, this, this is, was Carissa Yip asked me if... Uh, if Geary was my celebrity crush. Yes. And, 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 uh, I, I did the honest thing. I texted my girlfriend and, uh, it was now my fiance. And, uh, she said, yes, obviously. Obviously. <laughs> obviously. So, uh, Anish Geary, um, he had very good chances in this tournament, but, uh, he faltered at the end. What, what do you think of his performance? And, um, I mean, obviously his Twitter game is amazing, but, but, uh, what does he need to do to, to get, to take that last final step. I need to learn to calculate better. You have it right here, folks. Hot take. It's, it's, it's been known for years. I wrote this article, what's wrong with Annie Skiri. And, and there's uh, sort of two answers. The one is uh, not much. And the other one is uh, he doesn't calculate uh, as well as he should for the level. And there, there were which, some- which I normally phrase differently. There, uh, there were some games in the candidates, especially in the second half, where I think we saw this. Correct? Um, yeah. So if we if we take the game with Wang Hao, 
for example, which is a short where Gear showed off uh, most of his strengths. Uh, we didn't really get to see his end game technique, which is is fantastic. But he was showing off most of his strength. He had this uh, really wonderful H3 uh, move, uh, new idea. Uh, he was correct judgment on some uh, exchange of pieces. There was a lot of uh, a really nice maneuvering. Um, but at some point, move 32, you can look it up if you want. And he played this nice idea B4 and Rook C4. And because of quite complicated tactics, which Sam found in five minutes, uh, he... Uh, uh, he could have uh, have let the wind slip. He won the game anyway. Wang Hao just wanted to get out of there. But on move 32, he could win in one move. And he just didn't see it. And this is uh, normally when I talk about calculation, uh, it's very important to actually define what you're talking about. Most people don't have a definition of what calculation is. Something like seeing moves in your head, which doesn't really sound like something you do, but more like something you should see a psychologist about. <laughs> uh, for me, calculation is the process of looking for things you don't automatically see, because in chess we know that we look at a board and immediately there are things that come for free. Some things don't come for free, and that is the process. And if you are well-trained in this process, you can be good at it. And... Uh, uh, sadly, with, with Geary, he, he is not great. This is his biggest weakness, and his opponent know it, and that's why uh, they don't go into bad technical position against him. They go in where he has to outcalculate them and do it not very frequently, and this is why he makes a lot of draws despite his absolutely ferocious fighting style. Before we, uh, before we move on, uh, I, I did want to ask you about um, Fabiano Caruana's performance. Um, Perhaps slightly hard done, but uh, uh, how do you think he 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 handled the situation, and uh, does he have reason to be optimistic for twenty twenty two? Well, he's the second best player in the world, so uh, whenever he goes into a candidates tournament, uh, he'll be the favorite uh, unless we see a huge offset uh, at the world championship match. Um, so, what do I think of his performance? Um, I, I, I found it quite poor. I was, he was my, uh, it was my take as still being, being the favorite to win, but I found his play quite poor and disappointing. Uh, actually, I, I thought the level of the tournament was very low. Um, and do you think but, that was but, just the, the, the strangeness I, of the again situation? I, again, I want to direct people to, uh, to a move they can check. So, he had this fantastic uh, opening preparation again for the game with MVL. Uh, we saw um, MVLs. This is round eight. You can look it up. This is actually. I, I, I should say it is in. The, this is in. You the can magazine. give me a. You can give me a page number. I don't think I. I'm on the subscriber list. Uh, you'll be getting it in your email tomorrow. Actually, this is page thirty-three of our cover story. By the way, here's the cover. You haven't seen this yet, so it's a giant... I haven't seen this. It is a... Well, I mean, you've seen Napomniachi's face. Um, our, our I, 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 I recognize. I thought for a moment it was you, but then uh, no, I saw the, that it was missing the beard, yes. The, the beard is not there. Otherwise, we're uh, I mean, twins. Um, yeah, page 33 in our story. And you can also find um, coverage of the Geary, uh, the Geary game that, that Jakob just mentioned on Chess Life Online. Uh, if you look at the candidates, uh, it, 
the, the candidate section, you'll, you'll be able to find that. Anyway, please continue. I'm sorry. Yeah, so, so we, there was this interesting moment in the game, which was really very telling for was uh, Kawana in shape or not. And it's moved 35. And at this point, uh, Kawana had, third, had uh, sorry, 52 minutes on the clock. And MVL had, had quite considerably lower, but it's not really time trouble in a way that would affect play. Um, at this point, uh, Kawana had said 52 minutes, and he spent 29 seconds uh, making uh, a move, a pawn move, H2 to H4. And after this move, uh, the position is no longer winning, objectively. Now, he didn't even understand this in the press conference. He didn't even have a feeling that that was something he shouldn't have done. And this is not because he wouldn't be able to understand it. But uh, if you don't think, you don't get the fruits of thinking. Uh, and this is what happened. And that's where you can see that you know something was just entirely wrong uh, with him. And if I had to, uh, if I could put my bet after that game, I would probably be... be um, be changing my mind, but at that point I already was knee in, knee deep in in, uh, uh, in defending myself and my my entirely ridiculous prediction. <laughs> we um <clears throat> we should talk about things that aren't the candidates because you have done. I, I've I've told you this before when we've spoken. Um, you are one of the hardest working people in the chess world. It it boggles my mind all the things that you do. Um, most people I think know you for your writing. And so I, I suppose we should talk about this to begin with. I mean, um, when you became a grandmaster in 2007, uh, around the time you won the British championship on my birthday, even yes. And oh, during the okay. tournament. Wow. Um, that is a nice birthday gift. Uh, you, I you, didn't know it at the time though. It was only later I found out I, I, I didn't make the title the day before. So, but yes, you, you had already sort of transitioned from an active playing career to more of a writing and a coaching career. Um, by that point, you had written a good number of books. You'd written um, some opening books, uh, some of which are not under your name. Uh, you, uh, you had written this lauded Excelling at Chess series, uh, the first one of which won, I think, the, the Chess Cafe Book of the Year Award, among other awards. And then by 2006... I was the only one it won, but yes, it was still nice. Um, and an excellent book, by the way. I think, um, you know, I, I remember reading that. In, I bought it in Carbondale, Illinois, Southern Illinois, the, the very southern part of the state at a, at a Barnes & Noble. Oh, no, it was a Borders. I think, I don't remember. No, it was a Barnes & Noble. Um, and I remember how exciting it was because it was, uh, it was like chess philosophy, which as a philosophy student, I was really happy to read. Um, and then in 2006, you, you published Practical Chess Defense, which was your first title for quality chess. And I, I feel like we really need to talk about your, your publishing arm, Quality Chess, because there's a really interesting story there. Why, why did you decide to make the transition from author to publisher? What, what was it about your experience with the publishing world that made you want to start your own press? Um, so... Uh, yeah, Practical Chess Defense was published in, in 2005. Um, 
And I, I was co-author of uh, Expert versus Slim from 2004, which was our second book, just after Learn from the Legends. The two books were published days apart in 2004. Um, so basically, in 2002, uh, there's a number of things that happened for me in, in this writing career. Um, one of them was I started working on what later became the attacking manual. And I had this uh, whole, uh, uh, whole need to explain a lot of things. Uh, and it came from, uh, uh, from a disagreement with, uh, with your very good friend, uh, John Watson, who is, uh, who is basically the father of, uh, of modern chess books. You know, this, this attempt to have this really, really uh, ambitious uh, approach uh, to things and, and think about things and so on. Um, and I, I, I was very impressed with the book. I was, I'm very impressed with John and, and, and I think very highly of him uh, in general. But I didn't agree with some of the things in the book. And I had written about that in uh, Excelling at Chess and... Uh, you're very kind of going philosophical because there's definitely some Mark Brothers jokes and stuff in there. <laughs> and for me, it wasn't so serious. And it was like, for me, it was like we were debating chess and, and, and it's a game. And, and, uh, and okay, John, John and, and others, they, they sort of felt like it was like a personal attack. And for me, this was always weird because, you know, uh, I disagree with you on something and uh, it's not even like uh, life and death. I know you have a lot of life and death things you disagree with in the U.S. where it becomes very heated. Here it was sort of like whether or not a night on the rim is bad or not, or whether it makes sense to 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 talk about these things in that way. And um, and and for me, okay, it was. Uh, it was never the intention to hurt anybody's feelings or be disrespectful. And I, I, I hadn't thought I was. And uh, that obviously has to be understood through the, uh, through the receiver as much as through the sender. So, so I'm not going to make, make any comments about that. But one of the things I realized in the process was that uh, the, the way of expressing ourselves through ideas uh, of a more general nature, which I would call uh, strategic concepts, which is basically abstract ideas about how chess works. The idea, the, the thing about doing that had sort of gone out of style in Western Europe. And the reason for that is that almost everyone uh, was self-taught. So <laughs> it also explains John Watson's experience of chess being very different from my experience. Because uh, my mentor was Mark Turetsky, and I had training with him. I have training with Yusupov, and I always looked in that direction. Um, so, you know, part of Denmark was occupied by the Soviet Union after World War II for 11 months. So it's, they're, they're quite close. Uh, just a little island. Uh, for some reason, they, they liked it a lot. They stayed and <laughs> Very they, just caught, they, just, they caught another summer, and then they went home. Uh, basically, uh, it, it's where we all go for holiday. So you can understand why they want to stay a bit longer. Uh, 
But yeah, there was a very different experience where I was working with Mark and working with Arthur and, and reading their books. And they're full of these strategic concepts, rules. I don't like the word rules because some people, they, their mind sort of fries when they hear the word rules. But, but you must do. It, it is a rule. You must do. Which is not the idea. The idea of these things, these general observations, is for us to have a different way to think about chess, more ways to think about chess, and to produce options as a start of thinking rather than a replacement of thinking. Obviously, Lasker, Capablanca, Nimsovich, uh, and these other guys who formulated a, a lot of these general uh, concepts, these strategic concepts we know, were not averse to thinking. It is simply an absurd um, thing to say that. And I understood that actually for dynamics, there hadn't really been done a good uh, work on these, um, on the strategic pr principles of, of dynamics. Uh, if you look at The Art of Attacking Chess by Vukovic, which is still a bestseller to this day, um, it's just a, like a sacrificing on h7, and it, it really doesn't explain how an attacking work uh, attack is built up uh, and executed when it should be executed, when it should be built up, and and what are the main uh, strategic approaches to it. And I worked on that, and I just realized that sending them to the sausage factory, which is sort of what every man chess was and is, um, didn't sit right with me. And, uh, and that was part of it. Then also, uh, together with Espen Lund, we wanted to do a book on the, uh, the Berlin. And they didn't want it because Glenn Fleer had done a chapter on the Berlin in some book. And then also, finally, uh, Mark Dretzky had suggested that uh, I should uh, get Lipnitsky's uh, book translated into English, which uh, I think was written in 56, and Lipnitsky died in 59, and we call it uh, the theory of modern chess strategy or something like that. Questions this. of modern chess strategy? Questions of modern chess strategy. It sort of had a lot of possible titles, and, and eventually we did do it in quality chess. And we did do a book on the Berlin, and Espen and I had worked on it, but then uh, I sort of pulled out, and Espen pulled out, and then a lot of the work ended up in John Cox's book on the Berlin, and and, and it was quite excellent, uh, his book, I have to say. Now, that's that sort of leads into my next question for you about quality chess, that you guys have a very unique, I think, vision of, of the role of the publisher and and the way that you divide up the work too. I mean, I, I know you were you were talking earlier to me about how you you've got some layout tasks coming um, for a new book by uh, Nigel Short that will be coming out soon. Yes. But um, it it seems like you guys really work as a team on all the projects that you do. Yeah, there's uh, there's this funny thing that. Uh, I'm sort of the only one in the company which has a big pro pro public profile. And uh, it sometimes leads to some uh, amusing things where uh, people think that, that I'm the only one who does anything in quality chess, uh, which is certainly not the case. Uh, for example, 
I'm not the boss. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, I, I am part owner, uh, and uh, I hope I, I, I have a voice. Uh, but we are an editorial board of four people. So it's John Shaw, who is a uh, um, managing director and is the other owner. And then it's uh, Grandmaster Colin McNabb. John is also a grandmaster, of course. And then international master Andrew Greed, uh, who, is, who is an editor. Colin and, and Andrew are editors. And then we have sometimes some external work. But we have a lot of 3-1 decisions where I'm in a minority. Um, so <laughs> it's... Uh, um, uh, I'm sure we also have some two-one uh, decisions where John and I agree, Andrew disagree, and Colin he just doesn't want to get involved. Um, but but we're team, and and everyone works full time. Uh, and in in some cases, uh, with John and I we probably work more than full time often uh, in in making these books happen. But there's some books where all I do about all I do with them is typeset them. So. And I don't know what's in them, uh, really. Um, now, you um, you mentioned your your the two volumes of the Attacking Manual, which um, I've actually been working through on my own after the Attacking Camp for Killer Chess Training, which we will talk about shortly. Um, I, I know they're award-winning books for me. They're especially the first volume. Uh, you do a fantastic job of explaining things in a way that an idiot like me can understand, which is not easy. Uh, but then I think you really sort of, your, your prominence really jumped when these grandmaster preparation books came out. Um, and you said that at least the first one, uh, which was, uh, on calculation was originally designed out of, out of problems you'd, your, or, or training positions you'd sent to Boris Gelfond. Is that correct? Yes, it's true. So I met, uh, Boris a number of times, uh, but we shared, uh, it was sort of like a, like if, if you met like there are two hotel rooms but a shared living room during a rapid a rapid tournament in uh, in Rome, and uh, we just talked about various things. And then I I said sort of at some point oh, I can send you a file with these exercises I have if you're interested. Yeah, send it to me. And then like a week later he sent an email saying, okay, I failed to solve the first 10 exercises, so I'm going to take this seriously. And uh, those exercises uh, eventually ended up in uh, becoming the book Quality Test Puzzle book, uh, which I, it's a nice book. It's uh, we often when you, when you buy three or more books on our website, if you're within uh, shooting distance of UPS, which probably doesn't include Americans. Uh, we, we we have been giving it for free away for free for years because uh, we don't sell so many copies. But it's a good book. Uh, but in the end, John finished it, so we put his name on the book. Um, but then, uh, yeah, I, I kept producing exercises for Boris and. Uh, he had this great run after solving them where he won the World Cup and then he won the candidates and, and got to play the World Championship in 2012. And in 2013, he was uh, top three player in the world together with Carlsen and Kramnik. All three of them won uh, three super tournaments. Um, Kramnik and Carlsen both won the candidates 
there was just a, a tiebreak. Uh, and Carlsen won the World Championship match. Uh, Kramnik won the World Cup. And then they both won one super tournament, and Boris won three super tournaments. Two, I think, it was Alekhine Memorial, Tal Memorial, and the first uh, of the Grand Prix tournaments. So he was, you know, there was not a, like a one-off. So he had this great run well into his 40s. And around the same time, we had just a little bit of cash flow problems in quality chess. So I was like, I can put together this thing really, really quickly. So I just take some stuff and, and, and I put it out. And that is the book that's called Calculation. Just out of curiosity, I've, I've always wondered, how, how do you go about finding exercises like that? What, is there a process you use? Is it just, I mean, is it just you playing through all the games and, and finding interesting moments? Or do you, do you automate it in some way? I, I have various pro- processes and various tricks and so on. And I don't really want to share them um, but, but you you are right on the main thing which is um, mainly it is a lot of time yeah because some of these problems um, I mean if they're good enough to stump someone like Gelfand that's pretty high praise uh, you you followed this up with the positional play in the in 2012 if I'm right uh, strategic play which uh, an insanely difficult book in 2013. Attack and Defense, which sort of treats some of the same topics as you did in the Attacking Manual in 2013 as well. Endgame Play, the next year, 2014. And then in 2017, Thinking Inside the Box, which for me, I think is um, my favorite book that you've written. Um, can you talk a little bit about that book? And, and, and does it still sort of stand for you as like a summation of your, your chess thinking? Yeah, I, I often talk about my book, and, and that is my book. And it's, it's, yeah, I've written over 30 books and, and that's my book. Uh, that's the one you uh, should read about. It, it, has, uh, it has some strength and it has some, some flaws. Um, so what I tried to do is I tried to cover everything. And uh, we know what kind of book covers everything. It's a phone book, you know. <laughs> so, so I was trying to not be not be too deep about things, but rather sort of go very quickly past them and, and, and just mention them and then mention some nice ideas here and there. And I think as that's that way, the book really works. But if you think that it's too light a touch, more or less everywhere, you probably have a point. But it wasn't meant to be uh, going in deep, deeply into things, and I, I do think generally more book, books that are more on a single topic go deep and understand that people will understand something, but they will not be able to uh, to do it just by understanding it. It has to. There's a lot of repetition uh, required for for any development of skill, um, and we have to undo. Uh, bad habits and all these things. Uh, but that book was not about that. The book was about, here's the, the big constellation of what chess is. And uh, yeah, it, it, then it also was uh, my own best games. Including the, the, the move that you played against uh, Jonathan Rousen. Um, that I didn't play, that I didn't play. Oh, that's right. 
which is uh, one of the most amazing exercises because most grandmasters will not solve it. Uh, but if you are between 1900 and 2200, your chances are much higher. Why do you think that is? Uh, it's because it's so ugly. It's a lack, lack of chess culture. People solve it very easily. That sounds a <laughs> lot like, uh, like something I might get right then. <laughs> um, the, the, the most recent books you've written have been the, the books with Boris Gelfand. Yes. Um, and so positional decision-making in chess, which I, I think everyone, uh, when it came out, just blew everybody's minds because it's such a well-written book, so instructive. Um, and you followed this up with three really nice books, uh, Dynamic Decision-Making in Chess, Technical Decision-Making, uh, and Decision-Making in Major Peace Endings, both of which, uh, the, the latter two came out last year. Um, incredibly dense books, uh, you know. Well, the last two are, are incredibly dense. Yes. I don't think the dynamic book is not so dense. But, yeah. So I, I'm, I've always wondered um, about how the, the co-authorship works. So oh, it, it, it's very easy uh, to explain. Uh, so we were doing like we're doing a Zoom call. Uh, I'm screen capturing. Uh, and then we are on. We, we were using playtests. We are analyzing things together and uh, uh, discussing things. And then afterwards, I sit down, I write it, I analyze more, and and then uh, sometimes much more. And then uh, at the end, uh, I show it to Boris, and he uh, uh, he goes through it and see what he likes and what he doesn't like, and. And then we debate things and make changes. So it's, it's very thorough uh, from both of us. And uh, um, if, if people are interested in seeing a sample of, of what this looks like, uh, we published a, an analytical article based on, uh, based on this, uh, the, the major piece endings book. Where yeah, so, so there was an exercise uh, where uh, it was like we started at a, the game was like this. And then after these moves, then there would be this nice exercise. And that was true. But then uh, Grandmaster Vocaturo, who is uh, the number one Italian player, after they lost some other guy, um, <laughs> he, uh, he said, yeah, but, you know, in here there was a better way to play for black. And that turned then into these ideas. And uh, Boris and I, we, we developed them into an article which we, we published with yourselves. Uh, and also potentially with, uh, has it been picked up elsewhere in the chess world? Because I know there were some other possibilities. I, I think it's good to be published in Russian uh, or has been published in Russian. I uh, I allowed Boris to, to deal with that. And I also I know that in the Russian version of uh, his book and the Spanish version also, I think, of, of this book, uh, the article will be included. Um, and maybe in a, in a later edition, if we if there is one, there won't be a later edition if you wait for it, guys. You have to buy this one first. <laughs> uh, the, in, in all seriousness, I actually just ordered a paperback version of the uh, Major Piece Endings book as well. I have both the both the technical decision making and, and the Major Piece one in hardcover. Um, but I, I ordered the paperback too because uh, I want to be able to take it with me places and not be worried about tearing it up. Um, before we move on, I should ask, what is the next project for you? And I, I, I hope I don't make you angry by asking you that question because I know every author hates this. But what, what's the no, next? No, 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 not at all. Um, I'm almost finished with uh, a matter of endgame technique. I will finish it over the next uh, two weeks, I hope. 
And and so this will be, uh, if I recall, the description said something about um, uh, learning about endgame technique or the, the concept of technique through the failures of others. Is there is that something along those lines? Yeah, that was where it started. But okay, I, I then constantly I'm adding some things to it um, because... I was thinking, but I didn't explain this well enough. I didn't explain this well enough. I didn't explain this well enough. And then I'm adding examples uh, about this. So it's um, it's going to be a very dense book uh, in the sense of, uh, uh, you know, uh, if you want to if you want to stay uh, on a good foot with the mailman, you shouldn't order it on, by postal delivery. <laughs> <laughs> so, but but it's parts of it will be very complicated. And they are, uh, there's especially there's one end game, uh, which is a rook and g2 pawn against bishop and h5, uh, light red bishop and bishop uh, and, and, and h5 pawn, which the analysis of it, uh, I, I sort of like, okay, I can see that this is winning, but, uh, you know, even I gave up. It was just too many mysterious domination moves all around and, it was just like nobody, nobody can do it. Nobody can can even really uh, understand it. I think easily. Um, and I, I, I made some some comments to that, but but most of it, I'm trying to find the um, sort of the the key ideas uh, and trying to find the the thing that makes us remember them. Like there's this fantastic example also with rook against bishop, uh, where we have a situation where the diagonal from a8 to h1 is shorter than the diagonal from a7 to g1. Now I, you look puzzled, sir. I yeah, we're we're actually we're doing this on Skype so we can see each other, and I I just made a very strange face because I'm trying to do the math in my head and that doesn't compute. That doesn't compute. You would think that from A8 to H1, there are H squares, and from A7 to G1, there are seven. However, you have to subtract two squares from the A8 to H1 diagonal because they do not transit to other diagonals. This is uh, this is like calculus in college. It just didn't, <laughs> didn't take for me. It's very simple. From A7, you can go to B8. From G1, you can go to H2. And if you're dealing with a king that's trying to get into e3 or g3, you need to be able to do that. However, if you are dealing with a king that's trying to get to e4 or g4, then the a h square and the h1 h1 square doesn't work. You 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 will only be able to cover the e4 square. So those two squares doesn't help. And then it works out in this end game, uh, which is basically let's say black has a rook and has a pawn on f4, and then a king somewhere, and white has, a let's say, king f2, king f6, and white has a light-squared bishop. That is lost for white, uh, because at some point, the bishop will not be able to uh, get into the diagonals, which is uh, the diagonal from where we see a to h3, because it's running out of squares. It needs seven squares in the diagonal. While if we have a very famous position, which is black pawn on f2, and the white king, let's say, f1, and black king f5, and you can put the rook on, let's say, a2, and, and we have a bishop on c5, where we had this bishop with, with seven squares on diagonal. Here, the rook cannot 
take away all this, the squares from the bishop because there's seven, not six squares. So it can always transition between the diagonal and it's just an elementary fortress known uh, ever since the game Sable Podvinic. Elementary. It's no, it's, it, 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 yeah, it's, it's elementary. It's, uh, <laughs> no, no, but it, it's, uh, when it's elementary, it's like you will hold it against Carlson if you have enough time. Oh, don't underestimate me. I can screw that up. It's, no, 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 because he's not even going to try. Ah. Um, it's, it's funny. I'm, I'm, if any listener uh, can visualize all this in their head, please email me and let me know because you lost me about halfway through. I will be very interested to see this example in the book when it comes out, which I will, um, I mean, you know, um, as a book collector I, I, and uh, a great uh, admirer of your work, I will certainly be ordering as soon as it comes out. Um, we've talked a little bit about your work with Boris Gelfand, but I, I, I feel like, especially for an American audience, we should talk about your work with Sam Shankland. Um, oh, okay. So, and, you know, he, uh, he was in the room with you when this started. I think he left because he was getting uh, uh, bored by our idle chatter. Uh, uh, no, because he failed the exercise and I won't tell him where. Ah, well, even better. I'm, I am, I'm busy. You're busy. Uh, how did your work with Sam start? What what was the? How, how did you get together? And and I guess more even more interestingly, he comes to your house to do training, and and you've been to his house to do training. What what does that sort of in person training session look like? Um, okay, so there's a lot of questions. First off, in 2013, he had solved uh, the first three uh, grandmaster preparation books. Uh, and he really liked them. So he contacted me and asked if there was anything we could work together. And uh, he just finished college and decided that he wanted to play chess. Um, I think he retired more times than uh, Frank Sinatra. But, uh, but you know, I, I, I retired many times myself. So I know the feeling, you know. It's, I, uh, I think every, he, he, every even, chess player knows even that even feeling. Has, reti- has retired at least twice, right? So... Um, so anyway, he came, uh, we worked, and uh, after a year's work, he won some tournaments in 2014. He won gold for the U.S. at the Olympiad in Port 5. He ended Judith Polgar's career with a, with a nil for her and a one for him. Uh, and, and yeah, we just, well, we never stopped working together, basically. Uh, so mainly I'm trying to get him to solve things and I'm really pushing him and it's really difficult stuff uh, that I, I, I feed him a lot of the time. And it's just pushing and pushing and pushing. It's uh, what we're going for is sort of the same in, in strength training where you know it's the last few reps where you, where you go to failing. That's sort of where we we get to so we are um we're working very much on on trying to push and, and trying to find things he doesn't do very well and just push and push and push and it's it's bloody hard for him it's quite exhausting for even to watch uh i normally after train day i can get really really tired um and we play some playing positions where you know i find interesting positions like yamulinski against short um Starting from move 51 for white, I should say. Uh, and, and then we play them and we discuss them and we discuss how to, to approach better. We discuss which kind of 
abilities he should develop more of, uh, which kind of technique he should improve on. We just keep pushing. And it, you, you know, it's never enough. You never, ever, ever do enough. And you never uh, master any of these things. And Sam is, you know, a, a top 20 player who, who dropped uh, 25 spaces. Um, and still, you know, there are times when you feel like, okay, he, he, he how, how doesn't he know this? How doesn't he understand this? And for me, it's uh, like practically I'm, okay, my rating is like 24.75 or something. And in practical chess, that's where I am. But very often when I'm working with players of, of 2,600 these days, I see very gaping, very big gaping holes in their knowledge and abilities. Like really, like, like you are imagining I see holes in your abilities. I know you're very paranoid about this. A little uh, bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel you're, you're being judged. But, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the stronger people become a chess, the less they judge any other people on their chess abilities. Um, because <laughs> the problems only multiply. No, so, so Sam and I, we work on chess improvement. Uh, I don't really do openings. Um, I, I do chess improvement. And... I do more and more of it. Uh, we do this uh, camp on Crete, which is lovely, uh, which, uh, which we have done two times and we'll be doing again in October. First, we'll have some close tournaments and then we'll have the Quality Chess Academy, which actually has nothing to do with Quality Chess. We're just allowed to use the name because uh, John is hoping it, it will not uh, lead back poorly to the... Uh, to the, the the publishing house and some people do come because they're fans of the book so it's sort of work um but yeah we're going to have the third one of that on in crete uh, in october is be really good prices uh really good weather really good food and well mediocre chess training with myself and some of my my better able uh, colleagues um then uh you know we sort of ended up with this online academy uh, through a story which I probably would prefer to skipping, um, which is called uh, killerchesstraining.com. Which I should say, by the way, uh, full disclosure, I am a uh, paid member, so I pay my membership fee it, like anybody else. Not a paid member, but a paying member. Correct, a paying member. That's a much more precise way of putting it. Uh, so, yeah, so I am a, a paying member of uh, Killer Chess. Um, uh, training. Yes, and I uh, I love it. Uh, KillerChessTraining.com. We we have to get the plug yes. in. I apologize. Um, I should also say I've done a few seminars for them for members on uh, engines and databases. So just to get all that out of the way. But uh, and 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 you are highly requested, and we want you back. Oh well, that's nice uh, to hear. Well, yeah, we have this academy with about 150 members, uh, where we have new lessons every day. We have. Um, we have two American instructors, which is uh, Sam Shanklin and uh, Yulen Arismendi, which he has a Spanish flag, a Spanish name, but he's actually an American citizen. Uh, he's also a Spanish citizen and lives in Spain, but he's American. Then we have uh, Cuban, Spanish, Chilean, Romanian, uh, I am called Renia Castellanos. We have the Russian national head coach uh, from time to time, Alexander Motilev, who tries to come and give a lesson once a month at least. 
We have uh, Topalos, uh, former second, and Bulgarian number one, if you exclude Topalo, uh, which is Ciborino. Uh We have Ivan Salgado, uh, who is a very strong Spanish uh, player, uh, 2,600 guy, almost 2,700 at some point. Uh, we have uh, we have uh, Yulen is doing currently some under under seventeen hundred uh, material, but we also have uh, a feeder master from uh, Malaysia called Peter Long, who is doing uh, some under fifteen hundred classes because we have some members who are not very strong, and they also need to be in classes where their voices are heard first. Um, and we have we have members from GM level to yeah twelve hundred, and uh, we service everyone. We have classes, live classes every day, and the lessons can be. Uh, this is becoming infomercial, right? No, it's, be, this is actually this is this is this is part of why you're here. I mean, honestly, it's to talk about this, but also. The, um, yeah, the le- the lessons can be viewed uh, for at least two weeks if we have an ongoing course like. At the moment, uh, Sam Shanglin is doing this course on uh, uh, how to learn a new opening. And I, I do want to say, by the way, one of the most fascinating things, as as a bit of a computer chess nerd, one of the most fascinating things you will ever see is is watching someone of Sam's strength um, learn an opening, uh, you know, from scratch, build it, build his files up in chess base from scratch, um, and to watch the way he assesses things where he questions the engine, why he questions the engine, and in particular, what he does when he questions the engine. Um, I mean, for, for me, that is that and the homework club in themselves are, are, are worth, worth the price of admission. Um, I should say also, anyone who is interested in Jakob's books would do very, very well to check out the archived courses on calculation that he's done for the, for the site. Um, really fleshes out what you find in the books and, and makes it um, very comprehensible, even, even to someone of my, you know, you know, you know, I'm, I'm 18 something FIDE. Um, I'm, you know, a fairly poor chess player compared to most. A, of a, a strong club player. Yeah. yeah. That's what, that's, that's what I am. Um, well, I don't know about strong, but a club player. No, no, a strong club player. Uh, so, you know, if I'm getting something out of it, I think anybody can. Uh, so, well, chess has this beautiful thing about it that there are some things which very few people and sometimes nobody can do. But if explained reasonably well, then more or less everyone can understand it. And the moment where someone like you saying, oh, you lose me, uh, it's either because it wasn't visual or it's because you sort of get scared of not understanding. It. It, it's, it's, it's nothing else. Most things can be explained and well, this is what the academy is. The explanation that uh, uh, explains something to a, a twenty-four hundred guy um, is actually not different than the explanation you'll do from a, from a sixteen hundred guy. I realized this when I published the book called uh, "Excelling at Technical Chess" sixteen years ago, and um, so there's an American uh, player, a new 1600 rated, who wrote to me and said, oh, I really like this book. And uh, just an hour later, I got an email from Mark Dritsch who said that, uh, uh, thank you for sending the book to me uh, in a Kiev, who at the time was 2700, and still is. Uh, he, he dropped by 
he really liked the book and he stole it. <laughs> so it was like, okay, I write something and for 1600 and 2700, it is equally valuable. And, and that is how chess works. Um, if we see these books with very, very deep analysis, which I am sometimes guilty of, uh, there will be a, a lot of people who, who check out. Uh, we know that. It's like with the Stephen Hawking thing. Every every uh, formula in the book uh, halves the readership, right? Um, but, but that's sort of the only thing. Otherwise, things that are explained, uh, I think, can be understood by more or less everyone uh, if they explained reasonably well. So we are already at the hour point, and so I don't want to take up your whole day. I do want to ask you a few questions and then subject you to, uh, to a questionnaire based on the work of Marcel Proust, um, which I, I started last month. But I, I do want to ask you three questions first. Uh, how is your chess these days? Where, where are the weaknesses? <laughs> where are the now, different three questions? Yeah, now these are 10 questions from, from uh, well, from inside the actor's studio. We'll get there in a moment. I, I want to ask about your chess. Um, do you do you harbor any ambitions for playing over the board now that we're able to do that again? Yes. Yes. Do you have any any concrete plans? Or are you just going to take it as the case? I, I, have, I have two events I really want to play. I hope to get invited uh, by my friends in Charlotte to play there in September when they have, or late August or whenever they will have their autumn, their fall tournament. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I will be playing in our own uh, close tournament in uh, on Crete. Okay. So, and and these are, I'm assuming it's a, it's norm tournaments. Uh, in, in yeah, I will be donating rating points and norm chances, uh, as one does. Yes. Uh, how is your guitar playing? Um, so I think that I, I think I'm what called an intermediate player. For, for those who don't know, Jakob is, uh, is, is quite a guitar enthusiast. Um, and and I correct me if I'm wrong, I've heard you say that you think it's important for trainers to also be learners. Yes, I think uh, if you don't remember how it is to learn something, uh, how can you expect to, uh, to teach? So, I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm focusing on learning to play the guitar and... Uh, well, I'm no Hendrix, um, but if you, uh, yeah, if if you don't have anything you're bad at, bad at, but still like, then I think you're living in a constant stress situation. Um, so yeah, I, I like I like guitars. I like to play the guitar, and uh, I sometimes get paid for not playing the guitar. And yeah, I. I might, uh, on latest count, be the owner of 25 guitars. Not too shabby. Um, your summer plans, you've talked about your American tour, so to speak. You will be in Charlotte. Um, it's not a tour. I will, I will be in Charlotte and uh, be part of the summer campaign. But you also do some online training uh, for the North American Chess Hub. Is that correct? That is correct. And I will be doing pre-camps. I'll be doing... One on advanced rook endings for, you know, these Jeffrey, I wonder, and whoever, if they show up, uh, these guys, uh, which is, I think, 23, 2400 plus, 2400 US plus, probably. 
And then I'll be doing two uh, camps. One is like how to be, it's like IM preparation and master preparation or something like this. I can't remember the, the exact title. I think I'm, that's... Very, I'm very sorry to how I, my mind is a little bit spaced here. Um, but, but something like this where essentially we will be, the participants and I, I will be looking at the games. I will be uh, talking to them about what what is the next thing they they would benefit from working on and how they would benefit from working on that. And we'll it'll be very practical and very how can I say it would be very interactive, very practical oriented, and it would be very soft in the way that you don't have to feel that you're coming to the camp and something is expected of you. This is really the main thing I want to say with everything I'm mentioning. Nobody's judging anyone. Like, we have players at Killer Test Training who are 1,200 rated. They are just as welcome as our players who are 24 and 2,500 rated. There is, uh, it's just like the old, old uh, image with, you know, like you have a shiny uh, $50 bill. Would you want it? Yeah, sure. I spit on it, I step on it, and, uh, you know, prop it around in the dirt. Would you still want it? Yeah, it has lost none of its value. And so it is with, with people. It's not, our value is not connected to our chess abilities and so on. And we shouldn't be afraid of being being judged because the better people get, the, the less they actually judge other people. It's, it's it, I do want to say, you know, I, I think that's right. Um, I, I've always... In academia, when I was in academia, I was I had this idea that you could tell the the real the real deal people from the sort of almost their people by the way they treated others. Um, you know, the, the the some of the the superstars who weren't really as super as they thought. They were the ones who were haughty and the ones who didn't have time to speak to grad students and things like that. And the real deal people were the ones who who always had time to speak to anyone, undergraduate, whoever. Um, and and I do want to say as uh, my experience in, in killer chess training is is absolutely this is absolutely correct. Um, all of the trainers are incredibly generous with their time. I, I'm not trying to make this a plug, but um, certainly I, I do agree with what you said. Well, I'll, I'll make it a plug. Our slogan is we have the best trainers and the best prices, and it's true. <laughs> Let me. Um, we, we we also have me, but you know I'm I'm only on so often, so you can easily avoid me. <laughs> um, before we go, uh, I'm I'm assuming that you have not seen Inside the Actors Studio, which is an American show. Uh, no, I no, I don't I don't own a TV. That is, uh, you're you're probably wise. I, sp- I spend all my money on guitars. Um, anyway, on this show, uh, the host James Lipton would ask each uh, each guest a series of questions at the end. It was based on a questionnaire uh, from his mentor, uh, Bernard Pivot. And it actually, uh, Pivot derived his list of questions from Marcel Proust, of all people, who, who famously published a list of these questions and answered them at different points in his life. So to close, I want to ask you 10 questions based on Lipton's uh, questionnaire, modified for cover stories because... Uh, there were some questions about favorite profanity, which probably is not great for a podcast where kids might be listening. I, I can answer that. F-O-R-K. Fork. Yes. Wait, that's a tactic. Because you can use it online. Yes, indeed. And it's it's not rude. <laughs>
That's not rude. It's uh, unless someone does it to you and you lose your queen. At any rate, uh, let me begin by asking you the first question. What, Jakob, is your favorite word? Sukswan. What is your least favorite word? Is it the it's bureaucracy? Bureaucracy. Because yeah, I'm slightly dyslexic, and bureaucracy is. Uh, I think I can can spell it now, but I think I had like 30 years where I was trying to spell it, and I couldn't even get close enough for the spell checker to tell me how it's spelled. See now, you took that in a direction I didn't expect. I thought it was just because you didn't like bureaucracy, but there's a deeper story. I like that. What is your dream of happiness? A 25-hour workday. Towards what fault? Or. Or. or? A puppy. Uh, hmm. A golden retriever puppy. Look at that. A soft side from Jakob Allgaard. I can't believe it. We want a golden retriever, and it's very difficult to get. And, and, and you know what? At some point, I broke down, and it's like, okay, let's just go on Google I will look up what is the most kind and affectionate dog. I will get that one instead. And it was? A gold routine. (laughs) (laughs) Jakob, toward what fault do you feel most indulgent? Trying to help people. Whose face would you like to see on a new banknote? Spock. What opening do you love? The Sicilian defense. What opening do you hate? The Berlin defense. What profession? No, sorry. Let me let let me let me change that. There's there's one I hate more. The bunk club. I was going to guess. Yes. Um, what profession other than your own would you like to try? Novelist. What profession would you not like to do? Nursery uh, teacher. Why not? Screaming kids constantly, and the rest of the time you have your hands full of... Nappies. Nappies, yeah, nappies. I I, I did that with two kids as the main care. I've done my duty. It's, yeah, that is... I have the greatest admiration for people who do that. It's just... I, they have to have the patience of a saint, and I just I know I don't have it. Um, 
Final question. If heaven exists, a Judeo-Christian heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? I'm sorry. Jakob, thank you. Not for me, not to me personally, but I, 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 I think I knew what you meant. Yeah. Um, Jakob, thank you for taking the time to talk to cover stories with Chess Life. If anyone wants to reach you, are there social media places that are that you can be found? Uh, the best is uh, the blogs, um, killchesstraining.com. We have a blog on quantychess.com. We have a blog. Um, I sort of think that if people reach out to someone in their professional uh, capacity, then I don't think Facebook is appropriate. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of being friendly about it most of the time. Um, but Facebook is sort of like uh, you go to the doctor in his house and, uh, yeah. and start, start asking him questions. And uh, so that's the one thing. The other thing is um, when you're someone who gets a lot of messages and wants to, to be, be, be friendly and helpful to everyone, it's great if it's on the block because usually the answer to questions are, something many people want to uh, to actually hear. Uh, that's the one thing. And the second thing is, um, yeah, that, that it was this uh, professional. But the, the second point I wanted to make is uh, the amount of people I have never heard of uh, who don't know who I am, who, who I don't know who are, who ask me about how I'm doing and what I'm doing because they're trying to be polite. Uh, it's um i'm busy yeah. <laughs> you know if you have a if you have a question please don't let me uh, beat it out of you uh i'm, I'm happy to answer and uh I, I do answer more or less every question there there are sometimes people who are try to to come with 10 different questions where it's sort of time to uh already wrote a book here where you can can read the answers to more or less everything um but but generally yeah uh a question I get very, very often is, uh, is there a right order to uh, read the Grandmaster Preparation Series in? And I would like to answer that here. Okay. Just as well as I wrote about it on the blog. I think thinking inside the box should be read by anyone at any time uh, and can probably be read several times without you getting uh, bored of it. Uh, you can just skip my games. They probably lose some of the glimmer after once go through. Um, but uh, my understanding of learning is that if you skip from one topic to another, you actually have a better retention. So if you sort of work on two, three books at the same time, it's probably good for you. That doesn't work for me as a person. It doesn't work for a lot of people as a person. But what uh, does work is for people to start at the beginning and then go through it. That's how I've operated, that's how a lot of people operate. And in that case, the order is the order of publication. Calculation, positional play, strategic play, attack and uh, defense, and in-game play. Another thing to know about the books uh, is that every chapter gets increasingly more difficult. So the moment where you hit the wall, be it on page 1, page 10, or page 20, you go to the next chapter. And you, again, start not right in front of the wall. Um, so this is... Uh, 
Um, those are sort of the, the important answers on, on these things, which these questions I get lots, uh, 10, 20, 30 times a year. Wow. So uh, another thing I want to say about chess improvement, the most common procrastinating strategy I, uh, I face uh, and any trainer face is people who want to know how to do perfect dress training. It's uh, now I know you went on an extreme diet or so on, but uh, not long ago you were choppy like I was, and uh, probably your diet is not for general uh, for the general public. No, no. For for viewers who are wondering, um, and and I'm quite open about this. I was diagnosed with um, uh, a very rare disorder called achalasia, uh, wherein I lost seventy pounds in the span of a year. Um, it's a hell of a way to do it. I don't recommend it for anyone. Um, and I had to have some fairly difficult surgery to uh, get back to and, something resembling and, normal. And, and you're fine. Yes, now uh, I'm okay. Which, 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 is, which is why I dare bring it up. Yeah. Uh, and you tell everyone. Yep. Uh, it's, I'm happy to, actually. It's, it's People yeah. should know about weird diseases. So uh, anyway, before that, when you were like I am, a little bit posted, you... Uh, you and I, we didn't need a great trainer to give us this great training plan. We just need to do something. And this is the point about chess training. It's very hard to do it wrong. It's very hard to do almost anything wrong. Um, there are more effective ways of doing things, and you can see my collected works and this kind of thing. But really, the best kind of training is the same as the best kind of exercise. It's the one that you like that you consistently do. And this is also why we see the best players in the world. They more or less all of them have a glaring weakness somewhere because there's something they don't want to do. Hmm. Uh, and his gear loves looking at openings. Magnus Carlsen hates looking at openings. So Magnus Carlsen, he, he loses games in the world championship where for sure the, his coaches are banging their head against the wall because the analysis to how to solve these problems were in the files that they asked him to, to review before the game. And he just didn't get around to it because he hates it. And his gear he doesn't calculate very well because he doesn't like to sit and solve exercises. Um, and, you know, most people who are successful within somewhere, they've found their own path which they enjoy and, and works for them. And it's the same in chess. Of course, if you want to be really, really good and... and, and and, and be great, like if Annie Skiri wants to be world champion, he has to do the things he doesn't want to do. But it's by no means the first stop. So um, when people who are 2550, 2600 comes to me, then I, I sort of I push them hard. But for, for other people, I, I think there's so many things that we can just start at the beginning. Uh, you know, when I was 2400, I and I work with Dureski, he explained to me really basic things. <laughs> like, I, I, I think if he hadn't done it so many times, he would be embarrassed for me. Um, so this, this is sort of the main point, you know, if, if there's something that interests you in chess, great, start there. All right. Well, we are at almost an hour and a half, and so I think we're stretching the limits of our listeners' abilities. But we No, no, it's, it's, it's just you and me left. Don't worry. <laughs> Um, Jakob, this has been a very wide ranging and, um, I think a really fascinating discussion. 
Thank you for taking the time to talk to us. The cover story for this month is amazing. The analysis is outstanding. If you're interested in more, of course, you can go to uh, Chess Life Online to read his day-by-day annotations of the of the best games from the candidates, uh, both, both halves. Uh, and we'll put a link to that in our discussion of this when we put it up on the website. Uh, stick around for a moment after I turn this off because uh, I have a couple questions for you. But um, otherwise, Jakob, thank you so much. Um, and on behalf of the Chess Life readers, thank you for all you've done for us over the past few months. Uh, thank you very much. And uh, if anyone enjoyed what, what we did, then uh, thank you very much. And uh, we hope to see you in killchesstrain.com. Got to get that plug in. I like it. All right, Jakob, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this edition of Cover Stories with Chess Life. Our podcast will return next month on the first Tuesday when we will again be making a deep dive into the pages of Chess Life magazine. U.S. Chess is a 501c3 nonprofit organization whose educational mission is to empower people, enrich lives, and enhance communities through chess. To become a member, go to uschess.org and click on the Join button where you can find a membership option that is right for you. As a member, you enjoy rated play, print and digital copies of Chess Life or Chess Life Kids, and you help U.S. Chess grow the game. If you're already a member, consider clicking on the donate button at uschess.org. Our podcasts are produced and edited by Jason Andre at Seven Season Films Photography and Media. Please visit sevenseasonfilms.com to find out how to start your own podcast. Thank you and good chess. Chess.